0: I thought we were going to die and I was terrified that made me wonder it's like well man Matt like you believe in God but why are you so afraid to die why am I so afraid to die and yet I say I believe in God
1: wait a minute what's going on hey don't press the square you are in the right place (laughs) On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Friends, our studio has been completely taken over. My guest today is the OG, the original drummer of the band Swish, which became Reason Being, which became Hawk Nelson. He since moved on, has a lovely family. He's working in audiology, but he's still on the skins and drumming for a local band, First Born Son. There he is, folks. He's What's right there. Matty Page.
0: <laughs> In the flesh. <laughs> yes, he threw a curveball with that intro tune. <laughs> a little bit. Who are those guys? <laughs> How you doing, Make buddy? Familiar. Man, I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. It's it's just awesome
1: to be here with you dude awesome it's good to be here too man or it's good to see you bro (laughs) it's been a long time
0: absolutely it has been it's been too long too long thanks
1: man for taking the time and uh friends listening this is totally rock and roll what we're doing here this is the latest recording of the podcast we're starting this out at 10 p.m at night very Mm. rock and roll
0: Mm. well I mean that's when you go on stage
1: yeah just the beginning yeah
0: we've had a good (laughs) pre-show hang and got out of the green room and now we're out here
1: that's right yes awesome
0: yeah man (laughs) this is awesome I love that you're doing this and uh, nice intro music dude
1: yeah that's a cool song
0: yeah I dig that yeah yeah
1: and we can uh I mean, hey, we'd love to talk all about music, but primarily we're here to just talk about the Lord and everything in your life that goes along with that, bro. All
0: of that in between. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Matt, uh, I know you grew up in in a Christian home, like uh, as a kid growing up in the church and stuff, as a teenager and stuff, what was that like for you?
0: Normal, right? For me, it was just the world I was in. So um, yeah, didn't think anything, anything of it. So I grew up in uh, Toronto till I was eleven, and then we moved to Peterborough and and started going to Selwyn Outreach Center when it was like in Selwyn, Selwyn Corners, uh, and it was a pretty cool environment. It was a small little collection of people, and my parents were immediately immersed into the atmosphere and as was I as a kid, my brothers, and uh yeah, from there the church expanded. So it was fun just having a bunch of friends growing up as a teenager and then music became like the thing for me in my life at that time with uh good friends. Those guys from Hawk, right? So Jason and Dave and I became like best buds at twelve and started playing music right out of the gate together. Actually I saw Jason and Dave uh in a band before Swish called Green Cheese throwback green cheese green cheese <laughs> at a guaranteed applause show for youth group gas. And, uh, yeah, I was immediately like, Oh, that's so cool. I got to play with these dudes. And so I started playing drums actually in the youth group. Uh, Rick Kirshner was the youth pastor back then. And, uh, that guy was such an inspiring man for a lot of musicians. Um, and so he, he just basically said, have out or take some drums home. And I, I actually practiced all of the frontline music that was the, the band at the time. Practice all that stuff on the cassette, like in a Walkman with headphones, just learning how to play all those songs, like the classic Great and Mighty is He songs. And I don't know the rest of the titles, but uh, yeah, just over and over and over. And then um, I don't know I'm giving you the whole history, but that's my intro to this world with Christianity and music. And uh, from there, I became the drummer at the youth group and then carried on into music with friends beyond that. But growing up as a Christian in that world, it was just normal. Yeah. It, was, it was an awesome environment to grow up in.
1: And like, what would you say your experiences at that age were like, uh, like religious or like, was Jesus really real to you? Like as you grew and sort of, you know, in your teen years and stuff like that.
0: Yes. Uh, the whole environment, the whole atmosphere was real. Um, certainly had a, a, a lot of personal prayer life. You know what I mean? So God was, always on my mind, um, very normal teenage struggles, right? And so ups and downs and the Lord was always on my mind. Um, interesting though, because I played music, there was this weird dynamic of having to put on a face, right? You're in front of people. So had a very kind of interesting balance of believing in the Lord and then having to also kind of present in a weird way. So years later it kind of unfolded for me and I had to kind of figure stuff out on a more personal level, a more, um, authentic level. So I kind of was almost discipled into just putting on a face for a little bit, but it was real. It was just, uh, hard to decipher the difference. What was the performance me and what was the real me?
1: Yeah. yeah. So you guys started playing together and, and stuff pretty young. So how old would you guys have been when this started to get serious in the sense of like when you did your indie albums and stuff with swish and all that kind of stuff.
0: Uh, yeah, swish was, (laughs) swish was a fun time, man. It was, we were 16, 17 playing battles, battle of the bands type things. And then, um, uh, from there we, yeah, tracked some music and then high school was ending and it was one of those, like, do we disband and find careers and, or college directions? Uh, or do we carry on? Um, so three out of four of us decided to carry on our good buddy, Chad, who still great friends with, uh, he was playing bass at the time he wanted to pursue some school. And, uh, so he, he left, we found a guy play bass for us and, um, uh, we decided to go full into, this is our college education. This was everything we wanted to put all our energy into. So we, we did that. And uh, yeah, it worked It worked out. It was pretty funny, actually, swish days. I remember having just this absolute certainty that uh, we were called to do something big. Um, it was just always, I don't know if it's the eternal optimist or just a perspective that obviously the Lord gave me, but it was one of those like, yeah, some, this is going to work. We're called for something here. And uh, so I remember doing an interview with the Peterborough Examiner as like a 16 year old. And it was like, I'm not being cocky at all, but we're going to make it. And that was far before Hawk Nelson. We had the title Hawk Nelson. So it was kind of a cool foreshadow. And uh, yeah, so we just got serious out of, out of high school and then did an indie Hawk Nelson album. And then that got uh, recognized uh, by Tooth and Nail. And then from there, it took off even further.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, then then it got to the California, the song that we played. We- Played for the intro yes. when he came in here and took over
0: never actually moved to <laughs> california though
1: no. we no. packed up moved to nashville That was <laughs> yeah so when when that whole thing started uh were, were you guys who wrote who wrote the songs
0: so we wrote the songs uh and we are also good friends with trev from crutch. So he's a couple of years older than us. So we, we kind of looked up to him as teenagers, right? He was a few steps ahead of us with the touring and putting music out. So he was, uh, in one hand, uh, an inspiring guy as an older teenager to us. Um, and then into young adulthood became more friends right on that level. But again, he had already had some um, exposure with tooth and nail. So it was through Trev's kind of intro to tooth and nail for us. Uh, So he actually, he got involved with the writing for our first like debut album. Uh, He co-wrote the album with us. So it was the four of us writing as we had always done um, with, with uh, Trevor being involved as a collaboration. So that, that kind of spurred us to the next level, if you will.
1: And that's friends. If if you're not familiar, is a band called Thousand Foot Crutch. So, uh, were your song was the songwriting? Were you guys writing Lord inspired, or were you just writing like just writing music and just being a band? How did the how did it work in the music business?
0: Yeah, see, that's funny. That's where it started to shift a little, right? And and I'm not speaking for anybody else, but for my own sake, as a younger guy. Uh, it was super passionate to like do ministry, right? It really had a heart to evangelize. Um, and then we started getting some accolades, some recognition, and, and it was really cool to start to see like, oh, well, we can make a thing out of this. And it was fun to be recognized. It was fun to have the, the cool concerts putting on, being put on and being the guy on the stage and stuff like that. And so when we're entering that era of writing for a record label, it started to shift for me uh, into this as a business and this is what I want to do for a career. So, and I want to, you know, be a part of this, this movement here, but it started to shift a little bit more to like, let's just do this. Cause I want to be in a cool band and I want to play music. Right. So I did start to lose sight of the ministry side of it, the heart of it. Um, so again, that's just speaking for me though. I can't say, you know, that whether that was anyone else's intention shift or not, but that was, that was mine. So I actually years later had to work through a lot of that kind of, I don't know what you would call it, but works, work, through, work through a lot of that and, and break that stuff down to the core again of what, what I always felt passionate about.
1: Well, and then there's also kind of like two, not areas, right. But there's like, there's the Christian music scene, but then there's also like, say a, for example, a band like POD right? where they're Christian dudes in a band totally mainstream. Yes. Even though to me, I hear the message through their through lyrics and stuff like that so
0: and i was always inspired by guys like that there was another group um growing up that just seemed to keep it they weren't chasing the um the same thing i be i started to chase which was almost the easier route the christian scene route was easier it paid better um not to dog it but it was certainly something that um it, it certainly it just paid better and it was easier to get crowds at youth groups. Right. So it was almost like an easier route. Uh, so it was still a lot of fun, but again, it, it was that weird balance of, I'm just performing and I'm not being authentic. And then I just kept going in that direction for a number of years. Mm. Um, but yeah, like those POD guys and, and other bands, I always kind of looked at them and like, man, they're being real. Right swearing and stuff like I did, but I never did in front of people type thing. Right. It was just this kind of hidden thing. And those dudes were just being, in my opinion at that time, it was like, ah, they're at least just being honest. They're being real. And, uh, yeah, I admired that, but I wasn't quite living in that direction at that time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But your heart, your heart's still just with the Lord. You just young getting caught up in the scene and playing and performing and doing your dream. Right.
0: Well, that's exactly it, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. Still had a heart for people, but, uh, it, yeah, it, exactly. I was just getting caught up in like, this is amazing. Like we're playing massive shows at a certain point, getting flown in to do stuff. And it was just unbelievable how quickly it took off. Um, and that's obviously the Lord allowed that, right? The Lord wanted that to happen. And for good reason, cause it, what's crazy actually, maybe we'll talk about this later. Um, when Jason and Dave and I decided to do some music together, 15 years later, calling it aid in effect, um, it was, it was almost surprising to me how many, and I, I shouldn't have been surprised, but perhaps cause my head was in the clouds. I didn't notice. It was surprising to me how many people were touched by the music we wrote then. Cause I was almost doing it for me, but the Lord was using it regardless of my intention. Um, so that surprised me and it's been a beautiful continually. It's come back a few times and it's like, wow, wow. These people, it changed those songs changed this kid's life when he was in high school or this girl's life. And, uh, regardless again of my intention, the Lord was using those words and uh, those, that, that music we were a part of.
1: You talking aid and effect stuff or Hawk no, stuff? Early Hawk stuff. Early Hawk stuff. Yeah. Cool, so yeah. it
0: was pretty cool to hear stories of like, Oh, that album changed my life. Like the one you just uh, played at the beginning there. Yeah. And for me, it was just a lot of fun, but it, for a lot of people, it was truly life changing. And, um, that's cool. That's really cool. Cause the Lord uses it regardless. Right. So,
1: yeah. So you guys, you guys played all over the U Canada and the U S yeah. Did you play like, um, big, did you get tossed into mainstream shows as well? Or did you play Uh Christian stuff and all like everything or mostly Christian stuff? Yeah.
0: So it was in that kind of machine of
1: kingdom bound, that type of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I didn't have any problems with it because it was great stages, great crowds, a lot of fun doing what we wanted to do. Um, but yeah, it was mostly the Christian, the Christian industry.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So meet and greets with fans and all that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wild. I remember one night, three hours of signing autographs, which was insane. Like it was in California. We'd played a, a gig at... Um, Saddleback Church. That's uh, what's his name?
1: Oh, yeah, that's big. guy. Eh?
0: Yeah, I, I've drawn a blank on the guy's name right now. Purpose like Rick Warren. Yes. Um, so that church and uh, it was literally three hours of people around the block wanting signatures from the band. So funny, though, funny, weird stuff, right? Like that's. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was a, it was a cool, like just crazy war ride at that age. Yeah. Uh, this I, is early 20s. We're talking about.
1: Yeah, know? that's wild. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so then 2005. Yes. So did you, how many records before you, before you moved on?
0: So two Hawk Nelson albums, one studio, like one, uh, record label tooth and nail album. Right. Uh, and then I left the band after that first letters to the president album.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that was around 2005. Yes. Right. Yeah. So what, uh, what was going on? What was going on in your life then?
0: Oh man. Um,
1: like that you're, you're doing your dream yes, and stuff like that. So what, what, uh, transpired to have you want to split?
0: Yeah. It wasn't that I wanted to split. Um, I was transitioning into wanting to, uh, I didn't want to just have music in my life. I wanted to have my relationship with my wife, who is my wife now. I wanted to, expand experiencing life. I wanted to, I was dating my wife and, um, yeah, I wanted to take us, her and I to the next level. I wanted to marry her. And, uh, it was, it was a funny, interesting challenge of like, Oh, what do I do? You know? Cause the band life's calling you to a full time. Like you got to give everything to this, but I know relationship is so important. Right. Like, you know, a true love relationship. And, uh, so I was torn and I just was like, no, I gotta, I gotta pursue, you know, real meaningful relationship, and if great music can come with it, then awesome. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. So at that age, um, I chose to I wanted to do both and I thought we could make it work, right. David had already been married um, and I decided, you know I'm gonna get uh, I'm gonna ask Tasha to marry me and it was an awesome choice, awesome time to do it. We were young and love and but we as a group, uh, when we were starting to kind of disband as friends a little bit at that time. And, um, thank God we've, you know, made amends with each other and become friends again. Cause we were high school kids, 13, 14 best friends.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but at that time it was, the machine had kind of taken us all in our own personal directions and, you know, people in the industry saying, Oh, you gotta go this way. You gotta be this, you gotta be that. And uh, so we were all kind of swayed in our own way. um, For popularity's sake. And so it wasn't conducive to the rest of the dudes in the band that someone else should get married. It would be a distraction. It would mean less touring. And, uh, I think we were getting bad influence or bad advice from people in the industry. And they were like, Oh, you can't let them get married. That's not going to be good for the, they just wanted to use young, cool looking guys playing pop punk. And, uh, it, it, didn't fit the image, I suppose. So they were kind of convinced or what have you. And, uh, it was more of a, well, if you're going to do that, then this band isn't for you. And at that time it was like, whatever guys, I'm out. Cause we hadn't been best friends for about a year, even though we were touring around and looking like it, it was, there was this weird, we kind of lost sight of each other. We lost sight of our mission. It was just a very strange, whirlwind that man too young to handle without any mentorship.
1: That's a, that's a crazy ride. Yeah. Right. To go from like living in Ennismore and Selwyn to around the block in California autographs. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: Unreal really. And uh, yeah. And we didn't, we didn't have any sort of guidance um, how to handle that sort of stuff. You know, thankfully I didn't get into, you know, any crazy lifestyles as a result in that time, but it was, uh, you know, I had my own vices and it was, uh, yeah, we all kind of just spun away from each other for a while. So when that, when that happened, um, it wasn't too hard for me to like, well, whatever I'm out, I'll, I'm leaving then. And, uh, so I left pretty angry. Um, but it was, it was meant to happen that way. You know, um, I always felt, well, actually, no, years later I came to realize, uh, the band was never My. Band. It was something the Lord was going to use. He just happened to choose me to be a part of building something that was far bigger than me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was a part of the building of the foundation of it and then on to other guys to continue it on.
1: So you leave, you're, you're, you're now married and then what like take us through that part uh, of your life of now being, I guess, back in Peterborough.
0: Yeah. Peterborough area. Yeah. Nine to five cubicle, crazy different <laughs> day, day, day-to-day routine. And I had a depression that I didn't even realize was a depression. Mm. Um, and I shouldn't have, you know, these are like the first years of my marriage and typically those are supposed to be, you know, like the best. Right. Um, and there was a lot of great times, but there was this deep underlying, who the heck am I? You know, my whole identity from teenage on was wrapped up in, well, I'm the guy in the band. Everybody's like, hey, how's the band? How's the band? Right. And so I, I was in a dark personal place for a long time. Like, who, well, who, who actually am I? You know? And so identity was a real challenge for a number of years. And so I came back to those like teenage struggles, those teenage um, kind of de- despair moments throughout my young adult life. And, uh, crying out for God, like, what is this? Where, like, where am I going? Who am I God? Like, what's, I need you to be real. You know, I want to want you. I don't want you, but I want to want you. And, um, those sort of things. And so the Lord certainly was with me the whole time, but it was a, uh, dark night of the soul for years. Yeah.
1: So what, how did you, how did you process through that? Like you're calling out to him, right? So how, how long was that process? And uh, what eventually brought you out of that depression? And
0: yeah, um, it was about three years for me, um, trying to mask it, and hide it with you know just partying and stuff like that to kind of forget the, the emotions of depression and so forth. Uh, but they always they are they're always there with you, right? Um, when you're all alone, and uh, so it was about three years of um, just this despair and, and feeling empty. Uh, It's a long time, bro. Yeah, it was a long time. And it, and it, it goes longer and longer if you continue to run from it. Right. Yeah. And I was running from it, you know, weekend warrior type lifestyle. And, uh, um, I, you know, what's funny, man, I actually read a book and it, so I'd been Christian my whole life, quote unquote, Christian believed in God my whole life. Right. Um, and was passionate about evangelizing at a certain younger age. And then I started just thinking about, well, there's other really smart people. I had actually always wanted to be able to prove to people God existed, right? I was just inspired by a Ravi Zacharias type speaker. Um, Rick Kirshner, actually youth group pastor, youth pastor, um, gave me a book when I graduated high school called letters from a skeptic. I was, I ate this book up. It was wonderful. It was a correspondence of maybe 30 letters between this guy, Greg Boyd, and his father, who was an atheist. And he always wanted his dad to come to faith. And uh, they'd have conversations at family get-togethers, and it always ended up in fights. So Greg decided, you know what, Dad, instead of face-to-face, let's just write back and forth, and any questions you may have, let me respond to you in letter form, right? So this book is a comp, a, a compiled... Uh, compiled list of those letters back and forth. And over time, the result was his father saw the logic in, in God's existence and God's love. And he gave him, gave his life up to the Lord. And it was a pretty cool book. And I was really inspired by it, but I s- tried to memorize it. That was my error, right? My, um, passion to evangelize was about being able to convince people God existed. Right. And I was probably trying to convince myself without knowing it. So I'm reading this book and I'm trying to like I'm literally writing it word for word and uh, thinking oh how do I memorize that line? That's a good rebuttal. That's a good response to that argument and that argument. And uh, I'm just not built that way. I can't remember that that kind of stuff. I'm not a great um, arguer or debater or apologetic. So it became very frustrating to me that I couldn't become that person I thought I had to be. And so I just started looking at other people and like, well, these people are really smart who don't believe in God. And there was a book called the God delusion that came out around 2000, I think around 2007, 2008 and uh, maybe it came out sooner, but it came across my path around then by Richard Dawkins and he's an atheist, but it was so well written that why God didn't exist. And I ate it up. I was like, Oh, here's a brilliant person. And he doesn't think God exists, so that's interesting. And I, I was like searching for like the opposite for a strange reason, and it threw me for a loop. It made me start to think, well, man, what do I actually believe? Like I say I believe in God, but the Christian life is supposed to be a sacrifice. And if you look at my life at that age, at that stage, 2008, the easiest life I could live like the easiest, least sacrificial life I could live is a quote unquote Christian life. Um, my friends are a Christian. My family's Christian. My, the church I go to is Christian, right? Uh, it's a pretty easy life. So am I actually following Christ living a life of sacrifice or am I just calling myself a Christian? Cause that's easy. And, uh, that really threw me for a loop. And I started thinking about that in a genuine way. And, um, when I started honestly asking myself that question, that's when I started to unravel these years of the performer, the image of a guy who f- believes in God and pull back the layers and recognize that, uh, wow, I'm not, don't really have a faith. Like I I worry about this. I worry about that. I was on an airplane flight from Cuba with my family and turbulence and I thought we were going to die and I was terrified. That made me wonder. It's like, well, man, Matt, like you believe in God, but why are you so afraid to die? Why am I so afraid to die? And yet I say, I believe in God do I actually believe in this God that I talk about that I was promoting, that I was claiming to believe in. And, um, for the first time ever I started saying, I don't know. And then I honestly, so i started journaling at this stage in my life and just free handwriting, just getting my thoughts out. I think for the first time ever, just being real, right. Just being anything I'm thinking, I'm putting it out there. I'm not putting on an image or a face or, trying to guard my words to myself, to my own journals. And, um, I broke down to the point of like, well, I'm not trusting God in anything in my life. It's the easiest thing I can do is just say it. Uh, so I don't actually think I believe there's a God. Like I don't live that way. You wouldn't look at my life and say he's a Christian. So I wrote down in all honesty, I don't believe there's a God. And I meant it because I was for the first time ever, I felt like as an adult, at least honest, I I got rid of the fake, you know, uh, oh, yeah, you know, he's good. And God is this and all that. My fakeness, I should say, not saying that's a fake thing to say for everyone, but for me, it had become that. And I finally said, no more. I, it, I don't believe there's a God. Um, because look at how I live. I don't live like I believe there's a God, so just be honest. And I was honest. And I journaled that. And it was around 2008. And um, man, it was a very strange thing for me because it had I never claimed to be that. I was terrified. I would never have said that in the past. Yeah. Right? It was a terrifying thought to even like, you couldn't say that. You can't say that. And uh, when I said it, when I wrote it, I had felt for the first time ever, well, as an adult and teen, probably as a child, I would have felt this way, but from teenage to adulthood for the first time ever, I felt actually free, which was interesting to me.
1: When you said that,
0: when I said that, that is interesting. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to be judged. There's no one to judge my lifestyle. There's no one to judge me. Oh, this is nice. I'm free. And, uh, So for about two or three weeks, I kept it to myself. I didn't promote it, but I felt genuinely free. And I was like, okay, this life is just to live for here and for now. And I wasn't going out, you know, crazily changing my lifestyle, but I just felt free of judgment, free of the whole, you know, what's going to happen when you die and, and so forth. And, uh,
1: did this sort of alleviate the post band depression that you'd been dealing with for three years?
0: It, it alleviated a lot of things. Now I still had to work with some of that depression, but it, it did alleviate a lot of it because it wasn't post band depression. It was, it was pre band depression that I was just masking with a lot of fun and music. Mm. It was depression because I didn't have an identity. I didn't have a, a real sense of I'm, I'm safe with the Lord. He's my father. I didn't have that feeling. Yeah, And, um, So for a few weeks, I was comfortable, I felt good, I felt free. Um, And then I came back to, well, I've got to be able to prove this, though. I can't just live this way if I'm genuinely not a believer anymore. I still wanted to be able to be an apologetic type person. And I was like, well, i got to be able to prove this. So I started trying to memorize richard dawkins book right and you really
1: went full circle bro
0: i did yeah and i was so i started going like well i got to be able to i got to be confident to share this with my family if i'm going to be honest i like being honest for the first time in my life it felt like so i'm going to have to be be honest with my family and tell them why i feel this way why i believe there is no god and i couldn't memorize enough and then it hit me wait a sec the choice to believe in god can't be rooted for me, can't be rooted in logic. The choice to not believe in God can't be rooted in logic. I cannot prove he doesn't, he, he exists, nor can I prove he doesn't exist. I can't argue it to anyone and make it make sense. So what am I going to do? I want to live a genuine life moving forward. I have to just make a decision is kind of what came to mind. It's like, wait a sec, if I can't prove he doesn't exist, as much as I can't actually prove he exists, I have to choose. I don't want to be on the fence for the rest of my life. I want to be honest. And that's when it hit me. That's faith. That was at that moment, couple weeks in the Lord was, the father was like, okay, yeah, you have to choose just purely from your heart. And, uh, come this way is what I felt. I just felt this very subtle like, draw from the Lord saying choose this way and so I did in my journals it was I believe I didn't put any labels to it I was very hesitant to get back to Christianity as I was but i I for the first time as an adult I had this sense of okay I can't prove it I just believe God exists and it was this for me it was this transformation of the beginning of where I'm at now of a honest, genuine journey down to the core um not built on a whole lot of doctrinal this is this way and this is this way and this is this way and this is this. it's just God exists and it's a love force and and from there, you know I did my own reading and studying then kind of developed more thoughts on that, but yeah, that was around two thousand eight
1: it became personal. Yeah, it became real. Christianity can become comfortable if it's not personal.
0: Uh, yeah, very comfortable. Yeah, and easy, but such a phony thing for me. It was very surface. It was outside of the cup kind of thing.
1: So after that, so after that, you, uh, you, you sort of grew, grew in your faith. It, it became more. You became more intimate with the Father then. Yeah. At this point.
0: Yep, and it, a slow, long journey, man. Like I'm still still patiently just growing up as it were. Yeah. Um, I'm in no rush to have anything figured out, you know, and that I, not to apologize, but to apologize. That was a long story to get to that point. But, um, yeah, I'm in no rush to figure things out, you know, doctrinally and things like that. What divides this belief system and that belief system? Um, but yeah, from that point forward, that's roughly not too long after when we met, um, and we started just as dudes, just talking honestly about what, what do you think this means? And so we started the well, right. And, uh, man, that was a life changing time too. Cause I was being honest among other guys who are Christian, but not having to pretend to have all the answers, not having to present in any sort of fashion. It was just, let's discover this together as, as people.
1: Yeah. yeah. Dive into the word and Yeah. And figure it out.
0: Be challenged by it, challenge it too. Like I felt really good about challenging things for the first time ever. Yeah. Okay with that. So that's, I mean, before I even knew what this phrase was, that was my deconstruction quote unquote journey um, in 2008. And it wasn't, um, I shouldn't, I shouldn't dog it. I was going to say it wasn't because it's the thing to do. People have to do that. I had to do that. I'm not saying everyone has to go through their deconstruction journey, but I am all for people who grew up in the faith challenging internally, personally, the authenticity of the things we say we believe. Yeah. Right. And I had to, because I had a whole castle built of cards of, you know, this doctrinal theory of, of, you know, creation has to be six days literal and this one and this one and this one. And you, one gets proven wrong or, or convincingly, you know, stated in a different way. And you're like, Oh, what? And then that gets pulled away and the whole castle crumbles. Um, and so I was very on edge most of my life up until that point, because everything had to be just so I had to have it all figured out and all the answers. Uh, and that's unfortunately what a lot of people feel they have to do. Um, yeah. but anyways, I broke free from that around 2008 times.
1: And you, uh, and you know your identity. Yeah. Who you are. Yeah. Precious son, eh, bro?
0: Oh my gosh, dude. Like, and again, like I'm saying, still growing up to, to actually understand that my boy is five, but when he was a infant, he didn't know he was my son. He just, he just was, and he was just provided for. Yeah. And now he's becoming aware of who I am and who he is and, who we are. And I'm at that same kind of early stage of feeling very like, okay, you, you love me. You're protecting me. You're guiding me. You're with me. And I still have to remind myself cause it gets, we get in our old ways of thinking solo and thinking, you know, I got to do it all. And, uh, so I'm still very much, very much a kid.
1: And you know, what's cool, man, like you were talking about apologetics is when you have kids like where you're at, yeah. it's such a great example of the father's heart because you love your two kids. Yes. Just because. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. you just do, right? Yeah. And that's the father's love for us.
0: Exactly. Just because. Just because, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So, quite a journey for sure. Um, so, were, were you in this whole journey? Were you
1: yeah. doing anything in music or did that, like birthday boys and all that kind of stuff, did that come after all this got sorted?
0: Uh, no, it was all kind of during and throughout. Yeah. So when I left Hawk, I was not doing music for a little while. Dave and I actually, uh, Dave Clark, uh, guitar player from Hawk, like high school buddy. Um, him and I, he was also out of the band a few months prior to me. Um, he and I started jamming again, some pop punk and uh, we actually wrote a couple songs and pitched it to tooth and nail. We were like, let's get back at this and, and do our, keep up with our pop punk roots. And, uh, but we actually called it aid in effect way back then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Funny enough. And, uh, it didn't take off. Um, they started a family with kids around that time, 2006. And, uh, so we slowed that kind of slowly stopped for a bit. And then I joined a group from town called money, money. And these were Christian dudes playing the just the indie scene outside of churches, and I always again admired I admired those guys because they had an authenticity that I felt like I was not I didn't have personally, and so I really loved having like deep theological conversations with these guys. But we were playing bars, and, or sorry, not but but and we were playing just cool places and meeting other cool people of different lifestyles. So it really kind of helped me see the world outside of the Christian bubble, um, and expanded my viewpoint and my love for more th- more people. Yeah. yeah, kind of took me off a pedestal that I had put myself on. So joined those guys that became a band called Birthday Boys, which is probably one of the coolest bands I had ever been in. I loved Hawk Nelson; it was a lot of fun. Um, but Birthday Boys was such a friggin' blast of like just rock and roll. Ah, uh, the talent in the in the guys that played in the group was next level, right? Next level songwriting. Jordan Mack on guitar and singing was just un- unreal. You know, Jordy became yep. a well dude, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was a ton of fun. Did that for a number of years. That faded over time. Um, we did one album. That band could have gone at gone places as well, but again, it wasn't meant to be. And uh, and then so since then, I stopped doing music for a few number of years, and then. Recently, which has been awesome, is jamming again with Dave Clark and our our buddy Jeff Rude, and uh, we're doing pop punk again as firstborn son. And it is so cool to just play like our roots music yeah. with this perspective in life.
1: Yeah, with a new record out right now.
0: Yes, Hollywood Hollow Bodies. There you go. Yes, man.
1: You can get that
0: on all your streaming platforms.
1: All your streaming platforms. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um dude just uh going back to when you regrouped with jason yeah and did the aid in effect i know you had said that you and matt had written or you and dave had written some stuff but when you got back with jason because i remember seeing you guys play in that band downtown peterborough right. yes bridge um just uh you briefly touched on it but can you just talk a bit about some of the people who came out to see you guys because of following you guys as hawk nelson when they were young came out to see your aid in effect and some of the feedback like you were talking about earlier about how they were touched by yeah what you guys did
0: it's a cool you know i think about that um a story where the disciples came back and they were talking to Christ about, they were talking about talking to Jesus about, you know, there's these people in this other town that are using your name and they're doing these things in your name. And they were pretty offended by that. And he said, you know, if they're not against, or if they're not something along the lines of like, he wasn't worried about it. Right. he was like, if they're not against us, don't worry. Like God's going to use what they're doing and um, regardless of their intention. And, and I feel like very much, uh, I was kind of using the Lord's name in a sense uh, for my own popularity and the fun of it and all of that sort of stuff. Um, not knowingly, but I was, right? And so, Letters to the President was an album of that era that I was involved in. And so, when we were doing the Aid in Effect kind of reband, regroup thing 15, I don't know how many years later, um, it was. Shocking to me because I think for the first time ever with open eyes, I started hearing people's stories about how the music from back then was used uh, to, to influence them, to inspire them, to save them from their disparity. The Lord was using some of the lyrics that Jason had written um, to inspire them and so forth and, and how much of an impact our music was on them in those years. So it was really neat to see, you know, like thousands and thousands of people showing interest. And I had honestly kind of just, I walked away from that world. I had to block it from my mind as, as in the past, I'm not that guy. Um, so I really never paid attention to the band Hawk Nelson. Once I left, I just couldn't, it was, it was sour. I just had to like shut it off. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, so I really didn't quite grasp the, 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 how big it became even though I knew to a degree. Cause again, we we're flying into gigs, which is just unbelievable, right? Buses and playing with like my heroes. When I was a kid, I was a huge DC talk fan, like massive DC talk fan. And here we are on tour with Toby Mac, you know, sharing a stage, hanging out on his bus. And it was just this surreal time in my life. Um, so I knew to a degree that it was big, but I didn't really pay attention to that. And so this regroup period was interesting and humbling to uh to see how the lord used that time regardless of my intention and uh it was beautiful it, it still is beautiful to hear that stuff when it comes back up you know it resurfaces like the anniversary of that album release and people comment like you know that that this one song saved my life when i was in the darkest time of you know in high school and it's or at this time and Those aren't those aren't just fake words. People don't need to say that stuff unless they mean it.
1: Yeah, that's very cool.
0: So very cool, yeah.
1: Yeah, very cool. So you two kids right now. And your bride. Yes. Tay. Yeah. I call her T. T. She calls me T.
0: What's up T? Hi
1: T. (laughs) Um And ironically, you're working in audiology. So after years and years of blasting people's ears with (laughs) (laughs) loud punk rock music, you're working in audiology. So you talked at the beginning about an early desire to evangelize, to share the gospel. Can you give me one story of how you've been able to share in your current workplace?
0: Yeah. So in my current workplace, what I'm currently really passionate about is helping people who struggle with hearing loss actually feel seen and heard. Hearing loss is like, is an in, invisible disability, right? We see a person who has, you know, a terrible back, terrible knees and their struggle. Maybe they need a walker or a cane and it's very obvious they need help. We'll, we'll gladly open the doors for them. We'll move out of the way. It's we, we accommodate to help these people, right? Um, but hearing loss is an invisible disability. Now, if it's mild, it's not that difficult to, to live with. But if it's severe and there's many people out there with severe hearing loss, they don't look like it, but they can't keep up to a conversation in a group when everyone's talking. And so they get left behind a ton, right? So there's this dark isolation that people who have hearing loss experience day in, day out among the people that they love the most. And, uh, so it's those unseen, unheard people who I have a deep passion to empathize with and teach their families how you can be a part of the solution. So it's not just about selling hearing aids. For me, it's, it's a passion to evangelize, to show love to that person who's struggling, who's misunderstood. Everyone just says, well, I just get some hearing aids. He's deaf. Forget about him. No, this person wants to be a part of the meaningful connection with their family. We're meant for that. We're designed for that. And so my passion has become reaching those people, speaking to them, and then sharing with their families what they're dealing with. And and so in a sense, um, it's showing showing the love that the Lord saw for the marginalized in his time, uh, that they are valuable, that they're loved, that they should be seen and heard and involved and so I I bring that same passion to what I do it's not just about selling hearing aids Um, that's a part of the process we need to make money in our economy but it is about keeping families together and helping those people be seen by their family members and what they can do to bring them into the conversation so it's more of a for me it's that's what drives me. Yeah. My love for people because of the Lord's love for people. And so advocating for them in that sense. Yeah.
1: You've yeah. actually told me a story though. If you've actually prayed for somebody. Oh yeah. there and yeah. stuff like that too.
0: Yeah. That was actually one of my, my, uh, bosses earlier in my career. Um, yeah, that I was, the Lord was stretching me to like be bold about my faith, right. Be open about it. And, uh, she was dealing with some terrible, issues. And, uh, at that time I needed to be, I needed to step kind of one more step further into my faith and take some courage and not hide it. Right. And, uh, so I, I felt like I needed to ask her if she would be cool with me praying for her. And so I did, I asked her and I was nervous as heck. Um, but it was a beautiful moment and, uh, she actually ended up dying a few years after. Um, but it was a, Beautiful connection because it opened the doors to our conversation about the Lord, and she had a faith in the Lord, um, in her own way, and so we were able just to kind of respectfully just share ideas back and forth. And again, I came to the point where I'm I'm not claiming to understand all of the ins and outs, so I'm very open to people saying, well, maybe this is this and maybe that is that. It's like, yeah, you got a free space to talk here and share what you think because maybe it is, maybe that, maybe that. But I do know, and all we really need to know is that our father loves us all. Absolutely, to the point of giving himself up for us. And so we were able to share that connection. We may have seen a lot of things differently, mystics, psychics, that kind of stuff she did. And that's all fine. That was her life. And I wasn't at a point there, I wasn't trying to convince her to not do that, not do that, not do that, not do that. It was, we agree that God loves us both and loves you and we don't have to fear God. So I was able to partner with her in her journey at that time and just be that person on the side of the road for a moment in her life to remind her of God's love. And uh, same thing with her mother conversations like that. So that was a cool thing for me entering into being more real with people where they're at and just sharing that point alone. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's awesome. That's what he wants us to do, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Plant the seeds about his love and God brings the increase and you don't know who's going to come in after you and yeah. say something similar or or more, right. And, or draw uh, them closer. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And so everyone's called to do different things. A part of that journey of watering. Um, and it's probably different depending on where you're at in life and whom you're speaking with. But for me in that time, it was, uh, it's, uh, it was a beautiful moment of just sharing a mutual, like, yeah, we're both loved. And she, and she, she felt it. She got it. It's
1: awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, bro. Yeah, man. Bro. Yes. Thanks a lot, man.
0: It's not over, is it? Come on! What
1: (laughs) What time are we? You you want to keep keep going?
0: I don't know. Yes. (laughs) Let's talk well days, man.
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about well days.
0: Well, like how much of your story have you shared?
1: Well, I haven't shared my story yet, but Uh, this isn't about me. This is about other people and Jesus. Well, yes, but I I will share my story one day because a couple people have asked me to share my story. So, yeah, man, I will share it, but not today. Fair deal. Today is Matt Page.
0: Man, well days were a blast. They were pretty awesome formative days for all of us. Um and uh yeah, we've we've got a pretty cool history that I guess I'll wait for part 2 for you to share. Yeah. Yeah, man.
1: But the well what he's speaking of is when I had just come to faith. Yes. And uh a guy, a mutual friend of ours who was a youth pastor at the time, Jeff Pasco, uh started this I don't know, Bible study, just group, you, me, Dave, Mac, Dale, Jordan, Mack. Jordan, Mack. Yep. And we started hanging out and just reading through the Bible and just trying to figure stuff out and talk and right. Yeah. Just grow and learn. And yeah. And started doing it at a coffee shop locally in town and a whole bunch of people in and out, in and out. And people joined that.
0: And and the reason we called it the well, which was such a, I think it was a Tim Keller, I think, Tim Keller or Alan Hirsch, one of those dudes um, it was the concept of a well right you in a farming in a desert area, you don't need to pen sheep in to make, make sure they eat. You dig a well and they know where the source of food is they know where the source of sustenance is and there's no need to block people in with you got to believe this this and this and this to be a part of this. It's we you know where the, the well is and let people come and let them go wander, let them come, let them go us included. And, uh, that was a beautiful time. It was a freeing time of, uh, growing in our faith. And, and I came to faith too around that same time in, in, in many ways as an adult. Right. So it was a freeing time of, wow, we're just drinking at the well of Jesus, exploring his teaching and, and applying it. And it was transformational yeah. for, for us.
1: And you know what was cool is because I had come on the other side of the fence the the heavy metal mainstream stuff. I had no idea who you guys were. I'd never heard of Hawk Nelson.
0: Perfect. (laughs) There was no need to be
1: like, know anything. I gotta,
0: gotta, yeah, expose this guy to who I really am because he's got all these preconceived ideas of me. It's like, no, you didn't know who I was, and that was exactly the way it needed to
1: be. And so many, so many dudes came through there, Hey, eh? George and Matt Fisher and
0: it's a beautiful heaps thing. of guys, Dale. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was wonderful. And it's still going in its own fashion in a sense, right? It's the Lord is the well. Yeah. We keep coming to the Lord when we're together. I feel like this is the well every time we're together. Right. And I imagine the other dudes also, when they're together, we're at the well. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful period of time though, where it was structured and we did that that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, man, it, it was awesome. And, um, yeah, you know what, you know what, uh, I'll, I'll finish with this. And this is the thing I, I stick to on a regular basis. Uh, it's somewhere where Paul was talking to the Corinthians and I should know the scripture, but I'm not that guy who knows the scripture. Right? I'm not that guy so either. I'd like to be that guy, yeah. but I just
1: can't. I'm not, I'm
0: not that dude. And that's cool. Uh, but Paul was saying to the people in Corinth, he's like, because you know, they had a whole bunch of ideas of this being truth and this being truth and this being truth. And he says, listen, and, and Paul also had a whole bunch of concepts and ideas too, but he broke it down. He said, I really, a uh, uh, claim, I claim to know nothing at all except for Christ crucified. Mm. Like the, the pinnacle of my faith, the central dogma is that God loves us so much that he went to the depths of death where we go to bring us up and out. If we just trust his love, if we just trust that he's there with us, that he loves us, let him lift us out of that. That's all I really know. Right. I don't know Baptist, Pentecostal, evangelical, Catholic, Anglican, probably all of them have great and some truth. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't matter. That's what I know. And that's what anyone who else believes that that's what we know. Yeah, let's not let anything else divide. And so that's that's where I've come down to. And I don't need to build a house of cards anymore. I never will. It's that's the well. That's the core. And I love exploring all of those ideas. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be a now. Nah, what group are you in? What group are you in? That's awesome, man. Yeah, profound. It's found. It's
1: found. But listen, Matt, you're not going to finish with that. You're going to finish with this because I'm the guy in front of the little soundboard here. Yes, you are (laughs) in control. But um, bro, so anyways, man, bless you and your family. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for making it rock and roll, coming in late as. It's perfect. Yes. Love it. Love it. Thanks also for bringing me a coffee. Fun fact Mm -hmm. uh, for the podcast: you are among the small a group of people who've actually brought me a coffee, which is very, very nice of you.
0: There you go. Uh, Chris
1: Blackwood, Chris Blackwood brought me one. I didn't mention that on his show, but he did. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Scott Cooper and Marie join the crew. Jen the
0: brew crew.
1: There's a brew crew friends. There is a brew crew. Um, But Matt, thanks. Bless your family again, dude. And uh, much success with Firstborn Son. Hopefully we'll get Dave Clark in here one day and and hear his story and talk to him too. Yeah, man. So that's all good with that. Uh, New album is called? Hollywood Hollow Bodies. And you can find that everywhere.
0: Everywhere, man.
1: You stream. Firstborn Son. One word. One word. Firstborn Son. Boom. So Matt. Here's my final question for you, bro. Okay. If uh, a 20-year-old, 19, 20-year-old kid came up to you uh, knowing your history in music and is signed, and you hear their record, and it's not broken yet, but you hear it, and with your musical background, you know that these guys are going, boom, they're going big time Yeah, in the Christian music scene. Sure. And let's say they're local, but now this thing's going and they're leaving and they're going to wherever LA, California, wherever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What what would you say to this young person? What kind of advice would you give them?
0: They need to seek out someone to mentor them. Who's been a few steps ahead of them uh, to help guide them. Cause it is a tempestuous world of popularity and self-indulgence and uh look for someone you trust who's an elder and uh yeah put them in your life and let listen into them yeah man awesome absolutely that's that's key you need wisdom we need elders to guide us right
1: yeah discipleship
0: yes absolutely amen yeah man yeah, man. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, thanks again, buddy. I've uh, Dude, appreciated you. knowing you and journeying with you in the well and everything. And
0: yeah, likewise, man. Yeah. Thank you for this. This is very cool. All the best with the podcast, the Toddcast. Yeah. It's all for Jesus, bro. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks, buddy. Bless you. Love you.
1: Thanks for listening, friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Matt. Very interesting story of having all that success, fulfilling a childhood dream, and just still trying to find your identity. And it's really interesting how matt needed to be stripped down by the lord right down to the ultimate question is he real can't prove that he's real can't prove that he's not matt had to make a choice and that's what it is friends it's a choice he's calling us and it's a choice to believe and to follow And to behold his glory and be loved. It's the message of the cross, friends.